Praise God from whom all blessings flow. This is Brother William Kantz with this week's lesson. From 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. And the title of this week's lesson is called David Reigns. Again, 2 Samuel 5, verses 1 through 16. From the King James Version, the text reads, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that leadest out and broughtest in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king, to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Judah, went to Jerusalem, unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, the same is the city of David. And David said on, on that day, Whoever, whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David. And David built round about from Milo and inward. And David went on and grew great, and the Lord of God, Lord God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. And David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron. And there were sons and daughters born to David. And these be the names of those that were born unto him in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shoabab, Nathan, and Solomon. Ibhar also Elishua, Nepheg, and Japheah, and Elishama, and Eliada, and Elephalet. Praise be God's holy and divine word. Before Israel entered Canaan to resettle the land, Moses addressed the nation 
and restated the law. The book of Deuteronomy, which means second law, records what he said to the people. In Deuteronomy 17 and verse 14, Moses described how the Israelites would select a king to reign over them. With that being said, he emphasized that the king must be one whom the Lord your God chooses, verse 15. After emphasizing God's role in selecting the new king, Moses described the ideal behavior of the monarch. Israel's king was not to be motivated by greed, lust, or political advantage, verses 16 and 17. He was to focus upon God's law and follow it. Moses declared, And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel, verses 19 and 20. Israel's first king, Saul, was selected by God and initially acted with humility and restraint. Notice 1 Samuel 10, verses 24 through 27. As time went by, however, Saul changed. Noting this, the prophet Samuel stated, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Chapter 15, verse 17. Samuel continued, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, verse 19. Because King Saul rejected the word of the Lord, he would no longer be king, verse 26. God chose another man to fill that role. After removing Saul, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will carry out my will in its entirety. Chapter 13, verse 22. My own heart. He will carry out my will in its entirety. Again, chapter 13, verse 22. Before David assumed the role of king, Saul had to be removed. David did not believe himself responsible for doing this. Notice 1 Samuel 24, verse 6 and 26, verse 9. Instead, he, David, believed the Lord would bring about Saul's end and stated, As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. 
chapter 24, verse 10 through 11. Our lesson today focuses on the beginning of David's reign. With the intention of making David their king, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. 2 Samuel 5, verses 1 and 2. Three reasons were given by these individuals for bringing King David to the throne. First, David was a fellow Israelite. Notice Deuteronomy 17, verse 15. This was a requirement. Second, David was an effective military leader. Notice 1 Samuel 18, verse 5, and verses 13 through 16. Third, David was chosen by God. Notice 1 Samuel 16, 1, and 12 through 13. These three reasons, or elements, include God's people, in God's place, under God's rule. God's people came to Hebron. All the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them. 2 Samuel 5 and verse 3. Most commonly, a covenant between a king and his people was something that happened often in the ancient Near East and expressed some mutual obligation. This is the forerunner of the theory that there is an inherent covenant between the people and the ruler. The subjects were to show loyalty and obedience to the sovereign, while the king committed to a just rule and protection. This covenant united the two states of Judah and Israel under David. In order to consolidate his rule, organize a a nation-state, David had to take Jerusalem from the Jebusites. Jerusalem was historically part of the experience for the Israelites. It's the location of Mount Moriah, notice Second Chronicles 3 and verse 1, and Mount Zion, Isaiah 8, 18, and Psalms 74, verse 2. So, these places were part of the Israelites' narrative, and they were located in the Jerusalem area. Jerusalem was also centrally located to manage the political machinations of David's kingdom. In the initial conquest of the land, the men of Judah defeated and burned Jerusalem, Judges 1 through 8, but neither the 
Judaites nor the Benjamites were able to establish complete control over the city. Joshua 15, verse 63, and Judges 1, verse 21. In obedience to God's ancient command to Israel, David now defeats the Jebusites. David emerges as a leader who intends and does finish what Joshua and Judah started. The overconfidence of the Jebusites is revealed by the way they responded to David's advance. They said, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. Overconfidence. 2 Samuel 5 and verse 6. Such, however, did not occur, for David took the stronghold of Zion, that, that is the city of David, verse 7. The strategy used by David to breach the defenses of Jerusalem is reported in the text. Rather than attacking the city in the usual way, David instructed his men to climb up by the way of the water shaft, verse 8. David directed his men to capture the city not by direct assault, on the walls, but by a surprise assault from within. <clears throat> Stealth and planning were responsible. Ultimately, David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from Milo and inward. So David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. 2 Samuel 5, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> Once the Jebusites were removed from their fortress, David, with God's help, developed Jerusalem. Having taken Jerusalem with the intention of making it the seat of Israel's government, David began working on his house, the royal palace. He was able to procure building materials from Hiram, king of Tyre, who ruled 50 miles north of Jerusalem and controlled the trade from the Mediterranean basin. Hiram would later provide Solomon with lumber and workmen to build a house worthy of God. During the time of David, the king of Tyre established a trading relationship with Israel. Tyre, the people of Tyre, needed the produce of the land of Israel to support the massive population the city included. David and Solomon later wanted the treasures of the Mediterranean the ships of Tyre could bring. Having taken Jerusalem with the intention of making it the seat of Israel's government, David began a, a workman project in the city, including his house. And according to 2 Samuel 5.11, Hiram, king of Tyre, 
sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. The author of Samuel records. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. 2 Samuel 5 and verse 12. God was the proper and ultimate king of Jerusalem and all the land of Israel. David was a prince. The events that transpired provided David with a sense of assurance from the Lord. In fact, David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people. 2 Samuel 5, verse 12. God was doing for David what God promised he would do. He will do for us in the same way. David realized Yahweh established David's kingdom so that David could function as a servant toward his people. This is true, godly, intended leadership. We are all to serve. David's kingship was not an end in itself, but a means to an end the benefit of Yahweh's people. David is over Israel for Israel. Despite being certain of God's help and direction, David ignored the warnings of Deuteronomy 17.17 and took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Multiplication of wives leads to sensuality and to an apostasy no less fatal in effect than downright idolatry. Exodus 34 and 16. As in the case of his son, Solomon, many of David's concubines were idolaters. The path toward idolatry, desperately opposed by the prophets, was set in motion for Israel by its kings, leaders. Like the other great men, David picked a number of women for his harem. Those with more status were full-fledged wives tending to be daughters of kings and potentates around Israel. Their marriages to David were often arranged to seal treaties between David and various kingdoms around him. This was a business deal. When David took wives for political advancement, this intentionally went contrary to the spirit of love inherent to God's will. The aggrandizement of power, wealth, and wives led to a rebellion toward God's will. God sent prophets to warn. In the course of a rising empire, idolatry and exploiting the poor had settled into the national life of Israel's elite. It was hard for prophets to make inroads against such self-interested pragmatism. 
But in time, God did, did what he said he was going to do. He sent armies commanded by the great emperors of the world. Sin exacts a price in David's time and in our time. Because of his grace, God bears long with the people. But then, as always, the ark of justice perseveres. God eventually brings his word to fruition. When the Israelites approached David and made him king, they correctly realized he was the one God chose to fill that role. David possessed the first and indispensable qualification for the, role, for the throne, namely that of being an Israelite. Of his military talent, he had furnished ample proof. And the people's desire for his assumption of the government of Israel was further increased by their knowledge of the will and purpose of God as declared by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 11, and 13, as has been noted. David had as a youth served as a shepherd over his father's flocks, providing for and defending the sheep. As king, he would be responsible for doing the same thing for the nation. Importantly, the Apostle Paul used a similar analogy when he told the elders from Ephesus to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, Acts 20 and verse 28. A lesson for us today. We must not allow spiritual and secular successes to dull our resistance to future sin. Although God was with David, who became great, 2 Samuel 5.10, the king ignored the teaching of the law by securing additional wives and concubines. Faithfulness must be constant. A lifestyle of commitment to Christ, Paul writes, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, ESV 1 Corinthians 16, 13. In conclusion, Paul states, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. This lesson is yours. Thank you, friends, brothers and sisters, for being a part of this study of David's reign. I pray something has been said that is both edifying and uplifting. Next week's lesson is from 2 Samuel 6, 3 through 8, 12 through 18, and 20 through 23. Again, 2 Samuel 6, 3 through 8, 12 through 18, and 20 through 23. And the title of next week's lesson is David and Mahel. Let us pray together, church. Our Father, which art in heaven, 
It is with a focused thanksgiving and humble heart of mind we approach your throne of grace this day. We are here today to study another portion of your holy and divine word. Sing praises to you, Father. We thank you for all the many blessings you continue to shine down on us today and always. Father God, we most humbly thank you for your most wonderful gift of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is through him and by him that we are able to find our way back to you, Father, if it be your will. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for the church that Christ established, where men, women, boys, and girls can work out their soul salvation with fear and trembling. Father God, we come with petitions on our heart of mind. We ask for forgiveness of any trespasses we have committed since the last time we were together. We pray for those who do not know you yet. We pray for space and time that they may come to know you before it is eternally too late. Father God, we pray for your peace to infuse our hearts as we seek to do your will. Father God, we pray for all those who are suffering this day, both near and far. We pray that your loving arms of protection and comfort extend to all who are in need this day. We pray, Father, for leadership in your church. Father, embolden all of us to step up and continue to do your will. Let us seek your wisdom, your strength, knowing that through you the battle is already won. Father, we pray for all who are within the sound of my voice and our extended families. Build us up where we are torn down and help us to recognize and respond to your calling, us, your children. These and all other blessings and favors we ask in the most gracious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. Again, I hope that something has been said uh, that is instructive. I, uh, reach out in Christian love to one another in texts and messages and cards and phone calls this week. Stay safe. Count it all joy. Bye for now.